I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family style homeschooling. Hi, this is Michelle from Layers of Learning. And I'm Karen. We are going to talk today about keeping a paper trail for your homeschool. What do you need to keep? What do you should you not keep? What does a portfolio look like? We're going to be talking about some of those things. The paper trail and what's required for your homeschool is going to vary a lot based on where you live. So here in the United States, every single state has different requirements. There are different rules for homeschooling, different laws, and different things that you need to keep. So depending on where you live, that's going to change the way that your portfolio or your paper trail looks. That's The same thing is true of other countries. Various countries have various laws. And so the very first thing that you need to do is not rely on just someone's ideas. Michelle and I have been doing this for a long time and we know what works for us as far as a paper trail, but we haven't lived everywhere in the world under every single jurisdiction. So the very first thing you need to do is make sure that you know what is absolutely required in your area because you want to stay within the law. We have to preface this a little bit by saying that we live in Idaho. And in Idaho, it's really very, very open. In other words, there are basically no homeschooling laws. You don't even have to report what you that you are, are homeschooling to the state. So we don't have any state requirements here of things that we have to show to a teacher. Our children don't have to take certain tests. So, so the, the local schools here don't even know that my kids exist in the in the way that most of you would. When we lived in other states, I had to fill out an affidavit. I had to have it notarized. We had to notify the school system and be in touch with them, even though I didn't accept any funding from the school or any sort of, it wasn't a charter agreement or anything like that. I just had to jump through those hoops and those requirements. Here in Idaho, we have none of that. So the, the records that we keep are either for ourselves because we want a record of our own children or they are something that in the future we will know that our children need even though it's not required per se. For example, a transcript for high school. They're going to need that whether they decide to go into the military or if they want to go to college or even for a lot of jobs, they may need a transcript. So some things are just required as kind of a life you just need that. And other things may be required by your particular district that you live in or your the state you live in or the country you live in. Once you have established the laws of your area and you know the rules that, that you need to abide by and the hoops that you need to jump through, you still have a lot of leeway most likely in exactly how that paper trail will look. And so today we want to give you some ideas for different ways that that paper trail can look and still be a valid paper trail for homeschooling. In the United States, we have a wonderful government agency called the IRS. <laughs> wonderful. It's wonderful. They're the tax collecting agency for those of you who don't live in the United States and may not know. Internal Revenue Service. It's fun stuff. Everybody's favorite government agency. But anyway, they have certain records that you're required to keep for tax purposes. And every, basically everybody knows you keep your own personal tax returns for three years, right? That's kind of a rule of thumb. Yeah. And if you have a business, then the, the rule of thumb is you keep those papers for seven years. 
And then there are other things you may need to keep your bank statements for. They're usually kept for about one year. For like a year. And and the receipts that you actually get from the store, you don't need to keep those for longer than a month or until you get your next bank statement and make sure that it's reconciled correctly, right? So there are right. certain things that you keep, but then you can get rid of. And that same principle applies to homeschool record keeping. Yeah, there are certain things that you are going to need to keep for the long haul. There are other things that you might just need to keep for the school year. And then there are some things that you really don't need to keep at all, or you might just need to keep a record of it in the same way that you don't need your receipts as soon as they show on your bank statement. You might not have to show every single math assignment as long as you have a record that they finished that math book. Right. So like I keep a record of my children's grades in a grade book, but I don't actually keep all their math tests. Right. That's, that's an example of that. So a lot of school systems will require homeschoolers to keep a portfolio. Basically, that's a three ring binder that shows what you've done through the year, the things that you've learned. Now, your supervising school district or teacher, I promise you, does not want to see every single assignment your child completed. That's enormous. That would be multiple volumes, right? All of the papers, all of the math assignments, all of the projects you've done. That would be huge. It would be overwhelming. And it's actually easier to see progress when we have less to look at. If I take a math assignment or two from the beginning of the year, and then I show a math assignment or two from the end of the year, you can see the progress that happens. But if I show every single math assignment all along the way, because the progress is more gradual, it actually is not as clear a picture of progress. And besides, it's just it's just flat out too much stuff. So your portfolio is just going to have a few examples of what your child has done, some of their best work. So maybe you're going to take a paper that they spent a little, like a report that they spent a little bit more time on and they have great handwriting and that's going to be the one that's in the portfolio. Or like Karen said, you may want to show something from the beginning of the year and the end of the year. So again, this is going to depend on where you live and what the exact requirements are, but I create a 10 page portfolio for my kids and I've done this since the beginning. I did it when we lived in reporting states and I still keep the same style of portfolio now that we live in Idaho where we don't have any requirements. And it's a basic plan that again, you may need to adapt somewhat. I've never lived in a state, for example, that required me to keep attendance records. I don't have to keep track of how many days we have school. Yeah, I, I've never kept attendance. So, But in some states, in some that's states required. you have to, yeah. And so that would be part of your portfolio if that were a requirement where you lived. I don't have that as part of my 10-page portfolio. So I'm not saying that every single person should have a 10-page portfolio, but this is a good outline to start with, and then you may need to add or subtract as needed depending on where you live and what your requirements are. But my 10-page portfolio looks like this. The very first page is a resume. And a little bit later, I'm actually going to get into what's on our resume. But it is an overview of what the school year was comprised of for that particular kiddo. So it will describe the school subjects as well as some other things. So we'll get back to the resume, but that is the first page of the 10-page portfolio. Okay, so the next three pages, pages two, three, and four, are three of the very best assignments, including at least one that's handwritten. And it's okay if, if each of those assignments is actually more than one page. So page two might actually be page 2A and page 2B. 
you're just going to make sure that they stay neat and tidy and stapled together. Like if it's a single story that your child has written that's multiple pages and you want to include that, you'd actually staple those together so that it's obvious it's all one assignment. And you're just going to choose three really great examples of the best schoolwork they've done in the year in whatever subjects you want and have those be some examples of their work. So the reason you want one of those to be handwritten is partly because it's actually showing for sure that it's their work, not mom and dad's work. So if everything is typed, people start to get skeptical. If you ever do have to show your portfolio, they want to actually see your child's hand in it. And handwriting is the easiest way that that's done. And it's also just a really cool keepsake. It's fun to look back and see how their handwriting changes over the years. So for you as a parent, you want their handwriting and also just to show that it really legitimately was that child's work. So the next five pages, page five, six, seven, eight, and nine are photographs. It's just photo collages that you'll put together that show great work in various subjects. So you'll take a picture of a science project they did. Or you'll take a picture of them presenting a report in front of the class. Often a field trip type of experience will be in there. Now, it's just helping you and your child and whoever's looking at the portfolio to see what kind of a homeschool you have. And in particular, if you have a layers of learning homeschool, this is really applicable because it's very project based. So you're showing some of those projects. But the cool thing is that you can put a whole bunch on one page. And, and every photo should be captioned explaining what it's a picture of. Exactly. And, and what the child learned. Mm -hmm. Like we went to this um, rock art showing Native American rock painting So as we were learning about ancient art in America. Perfect, yeah. yeah. So you're going to describe it very clearly and have the pictures large enough that you can see them, but you can get, I mean, I've done 12 pictures on a page depending on what the pictures are, sometimes only two or three, but a lot of times you can put quite a number of pictures on there and you can show a lot on one page of a portfolio without having it take up a lot of paper space. And the very last page, page 10 in the portfolio that I keep is a reading log. So all throughout the year, as my kids go about reading whatever books they're reading, when they finish a book, they record it on their reading log. And that gets pretty impressive, especially for a Layers of Learning homeschooler because we do a lot of outside reading. That book list is a very good testament to what they've been educated in throughout the year. And that can include books that they read themselves or books that you've read to them. Right. Some people like to keep a movie log as well. If you use a lot of YouTube videos. Or documentaries. Yeah, documentary yeah. type log. That could even be combined with a reading log or you can keep them separately. It depends on how you want to handle it. But that's kind of your learning log of the things that you covered. And it can be fictional and nonfiction. Or you can keep those two logs separate. You could say, Here's our, here are the historical readings that we did. Here are the fictional readings that we read. And, and I include books that my kids are reading on their own time. Not just things that were assigned for school or were done during school time. Oh, yeah. It's anything they yeah. read. So I want to go back and talk a little bit about that first page. Because that is really the key to my portfolios that I've always kept. Th this is the page that really shows the bulk of what they've actually learned. The rest of it is kind of to bolster or back up what the resume page shows, but the resume page is the summary of everything that you've done in your homeschool. This is a little bit like a report card, except it doesn't involve grades on mine. If grades are a record keeping requirement where you live, then you would add grades to this. 
but mine doesn't have grades. Mine lists each of the subjects down one side. For example, this is my daughter Isabel's first grade resume. And under the math section, it says, Isabel completed Saxon Math 1 this year. She is using manipulatives to represent numbers and is practicing the basic operations. She is also working with number lines and is learning addition facts, patterns, and skip counting. So she finished that book. I didn't keep all of her math assignments. Well, and you didn't even list every single concept she learned. You just no. did the, the overview. Saxon Math 1 actually covers a lot of concepts. But that gives an idea of where she's at. And I indicated that she successfully completed it. So in one tiny paragraph, it's what percentage of the page do you think this is, Michelle? 10% maybe. Yeah, 10% or less. I have just shown an entire year's worth of math that she did. So your portfolio can involve a lot without taking up a lot of space. The next school subject that I listed for her was reading. Isabella's is becoming a strong reader. She finished all of her readers and is reading picture books. She's keeping a reading log and gives oral reports and makes book projects about many of the books she reads. So what would you put in one of these if, say, your child was struggling? For example, my son in first grade was not reading. We were still working on the alphabet because he's dyslexic. So how would you – obviously, you don't want to say, my kid can't read at all. I mean, you'd, you'd want to spin it in a way that sounds positive, right? So how do you – how do you do that? I think it's actually important to say where they struggle. And especially if you know why, then you should indicate that. You should say, Isaac struggles with dyslexia, but he is mastering his alphabet and works consistently on it every day. You know, you might be able to be specific. You could also add in, because he struggles, I read aloud extra to him as well. Or whatever it is that you're doing. You need to talk about that process. You say what the positives are, but you also acknowledge the struggles. Not every kid is going to go, oh, I'm do swimmingly at all of this. Everyone's going to have a struggle somewhere. And it's perfectly okay to say what those are. And okay. by the way, my kids, this is not something that they are given. I put this in their portfolio, but it's not like I tell they don't, them, they look, don't see it. look Isabel. I mean, they could open their portfolio, but honestly, they pass by these pages and look at their work, even if they looked at it. I would never say anything disparaging. But on the other hand, I'm not going to pretend like they have no faults or no struggles. You're not going to lie if they're behind a grade in math. You're just going to explain why. Truthfully, I'm okay with them being behind a grade yeah. in math. So that's not a negative thing. That's just where they are right now. As long as there's progress, I don't worry about if they're a grade behind in math. It's okay as long as they're progressing. So you're going to say where they're at and say how they're progressing in each of the subjects. Okay, so what subjects do you have like Isabel's first grade here. So what did you put? For her, there's math, reading, writing, history, geography, science, and art. So do you, let's say that you have an older child, especially high school. Would do you still do a resume like this for them? Beginning in ninth grade, when it's high school, I completely switch over to transcripts. And then their portfolio becomes completely digital. They have a digital record of their papers that they've written. Even their reading log is digital. That's partly because of the personality of my high schoolers that I've had. They're very computer oriented and they enjoy that. I would absolutely have no problem with continuing to keep a written portfolio if that was more their style. But they indicated that they want to go to college with a folder on their laptop of really great papers that they've written. They 
like to have all of that. And my kids have gotten into college based on the transcripts that I've written and based on the writing samples that they've been able to turn into the colleges. Okay, so so let's put the transcript on hold for a minute because there's more on this resume that you've got. So this is basically one column down the page, the descriptions of each subject that you did. So it's about half the page. And on the other half of the page, you have some other information that you included in, in boxes. Right. Just like schools do on report cards, I like to include a little bit more than just their school subjects because there's more to a kid than just the school subjects. So I'll give you an example of Isabel's again. I have a box that says skills and characteristics, and this is what I wrote for Isabel. Isabel joined in with our full school days, beginning to do layers of learning along with her written workbooks and reading. She's good at staying on task and is a happy learner. She loves having her big sister Elizabeth as her reading buddy as she learns to read. She is smart and full of questions. She is a bright spot in our school day, always kind and complimentary. She is great at following directions and loves to be involved with the big kids and what we are learning about as a family. So, so it's just a little description yeah, of her. Yeah, and th that reminds me a lot of elementary school report cards. They would always have kind of at the bottom of the report card this box that says, Michelle is doing well in class. She raises her hand often. Except that wasn't me. That's a lie. You didn't raise your hand <laughs> I didn't often? raise my hand often. Yeah, this is I was like, don't look at me. But <laughs> This is the character of the right, kid, right. what they're like. And... Partly this is for their portfolio to be more official, kind of like the schools are, but it's also just a really fun record. When I read that just now, it took me right back to first grade Isabel and what she was like. She's a lot older now. She's 11, so she's not anywhere near first grade anymore, but it's really fun for me to look at that and remember what she was like. So it's a really cool record aside from just being a legal record. Okay. And the next box that you have says electives and experiences. So what kind of stuff do you put in there? So these are kind of like their extracurricular activities. So if your kid is in a sport or doing music lessons or anything that's outside of school but is an experience that you want to list saying this is what he or she has done, this is the box you're going to put it in. So for Isabel, it says Isabel began ballet this year. She performed in two different stage performances. She is talented and graceful. And then the next bullet point describes a vacation that we went on as a family. We toured Zion's National Park and visited the Grand Canyon. Isabel earned her junior ranger badge and went on guided hikes with rangers. We also went to a Native American encampment and saw ancient cave paintings. So that was an experience that we had. It was outside of school. It doesn't really go under a school subject, even though we did learn about some school subjects. But you felt like it was a big enough, impactful learning experience that you would include it here. Right. That same year, we had a membership to a children's museum, and we went regularly. So I described that in this box as well, because that was an extra experience outside of school subjects. And then that same year, we went to the zoo, the planetarium, a museum of ancient life. So I described that briefly. Basically your field trips. Right. It was like, for other experiences outside of the classroom. Right. Okay. So so you've got a list of each normal school subject with a description down one side of the page. And on the other side of the page, you have a box with skills and characteristics and a box with electives and experiences. Yep. And that and is that first page resume. And, and the whole resume is just a single sheet of paper on one side. Yep. And my kids have one for each year. So at the end of each year, instead of doing 
grades, like a report card, which I actually give a report card to my kids that is for them that isn't really part of their portfolio and it's really me gushing over them and telling them how awesome I think they are. But that's not official. That's just what I do for my kids. This is their official report that goes in their portfolio that shows their progress and where they're at. So when you put that as the front page and then you show their work behind it, that 10 page portfolio creates a full picture of what their school year was like. Remember that you might have to add on attendance days or other specifics to your state or your country or location, but that's going to cover most of the requirements. That's what they do in schools. You probably recognized a lot of that. If you look at a permanent file in a school district, most often it will have a one page report, kind of like a report card, followed by a few student samples of work. Okay, so since you only keep, I mean, really that's slim, 10 pages. So since you only keep that much, do you also, we talked before about keeping records for a certain period of time like the IRS does. So for example, I keep all of my children's math tests until the end of the semester or the end of the year when I calculate up their grade and then I chuck it after that. Is that Does that seem right to you? Like once I've got their grade tallied? Yeah, I keep a lot of their day-to-day work all year long, quite honestly. And then at the end of the year, I go through and create their portfolio and that allows me to then evaluate where they're at and then eliminate all of the other stuff. Quite honestly, you don't need to keep all of the homework assignments, like the math homework assignments, even that long. You could just keep the test and you'd be fine. Schools and teachers do not keep every math assignment. So I, I don't keep, my kids actually do their math assignments on whiteboards. So as soon as they've done one problem, it's gone. Like we don't, we don't have any paper at all for math assignments. We do some math tests that we have on paper, but the daily math assignments. So in certain states that I lived in, I would not have dared do that because one of the things that they're checking in on is that you're actually doing school. And so I kept all of my kids stuff throughout the year because I was a little bit afraid. Is somebody going to show up at my door and, you know, like child protective services or something? That's always the big fear. Are they going to show up at my door and say, I'm not doing school? And I always wanted to be able to prove to them, oh, we are. Look at how much we're doing. But that never happened to me. I never needed it. But I have known parents that needed to prove what they were doing. If you at least kept the tests or an occasional assignment to show the progress, that would be sufficient. In Idaho, you can absolutely do it on a whiteboard because there's no one who will check in on you. We don't have that requirement. There's there's not even people to do that. Like the schools don't have people. That's not in place. No. So I live in Idaho and I don't necessarily have to have a portfolio. What are some other ways I can do it that are a little bit more maybe fun? Because, because honestly, I don't, I don't need that portfolio and I have never kept portfolios for my kids. The first year we did school, I did because we lived in Hawaii and we had to report to our school district there. But since then we've lived here in Idaho and I haven't kept portfolios for years. I kept notebooks full of just basically everything my kids did and I shoved it in the basement shelf, but it was never organized. I never edited it down like that. Maybe I should have, but eventually I went, why am I keeping this stuff? And I just chucked it all, all of it gone. And it might be better to for me to keep it in a way that's more accessible for the family, like something that's more interesting for us. Does that make sense? Yeah. So one of the cool things that I've seen is when people create a photo book, think of like a yearbook, except for your homeschool. 
So take pictures throughout the school year of the things that you're doing, the projects, all of the fun things, and then create a photo book. You can even do scans or take photos of some of their assignments and put those in there. But then you have this really neat record, this yearbook style record of everything that you did that year. And you could do it per kid or I would just do it for your family that shows, hey, this is what we did in our homeschool this year. You know, we had one homeschool mom on in the Layers of Learning um, Facebook group that was talking about how she has an Instagram feed. And that's yeah. like her proof. Like she ke- she takes pictures of her kid holding a book they just read or she takes pictures of a project they just did and she puts it on her Instagram feed. And if anybody wants to know or if she wants to remember what she- they've done, then she can just flip back through her feed and say, oh, we did this and we did this and we did this. Yeah, I've seen Facebook accounts and blogs and Instagram feeds where people do that. It's basically just their homeschool record. And that can be really rewarding too because you get some feedback from your homeschool community around you, you know, people are saying, wow, that's cool. And it's fun to share what you're doing. And so that's a really valid way to keep records as long as that's in keeping with where you live. That may not be an official record, but that's more of a fun thing for yourself. Or even if, if you do get an official query and you need to go back and remember what you've done, then you can write down. Right. That jogs your memory and you're able to say, oh yeah, I know exactly what we did this year. Let me just go through my feed and I'll write down those records. Um, Oh, another thing that is really helpful for some people. I know that not everyone wants to keep shelves of portfolios or, you know, truthfully my portfolio for each of my kids is one three ring binder. And that goes from first grade all the way up till eighth grade. Once they hit high school, like I said, I switched to transcripts. But that's one three ring binder for their entire first through eighth experience. It doesn't take up a lot of space in my home. But if you're a person who doesn't want any of that, you can absolutely keep it all on your computer too. And if you ever need to print it out, it's quick and easy to print it out. Just keep it in, a, in files and then... Yeah. Or, or you can email it to the school. The awesome thing is that with a scanner, having a scan of something now is just as high quality as having the actual original copy. So you could take as many assignments as you want that your kids have completed and scan it all and put it in one folder in your computer and that can be your entire portfolio and everything. You don't have to have anything printed. No matter where you live, that is completely acceptable now. They may ask you to print it to turn it in at some point, but you can do that. I would keep it on the cloud or at least have it backed up just in case because uh, you never know when your hard drive will crash or you know what could happen with a computer. But you can absolutely keep digital records. Even big businesses with their taxes and things, we said that you have to keep them for seven years. You don't have to actually have a paper copy of that. You can keep it digitally. And the same thing goes for a homeschool paper trail. Okay, now we have to talk about layers of learning specifically because layers of learning is an experiential curriculum. You're expected to read books that are not part of the layers of learning book itself, and then you're expected to do projects, and we don't have tests. And all of that together makes it a little bit difficult to keep records with layers of learning, and we have explained this on our website, there's a few places where we explain it, but um, we're going to explain it right now too. So first of all, why don't we have tests? 
And the, the main reason we don't have tests is because if we wrote a test, you would be forced to teach the exact information that is on the test. And that's not, that's like contrary to the whole philosophy of our curriculum. For example, if you are learning about World War II, what part of that are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on the weaponry? Are you going to focus on certain battles? Are you going to focus on famous people who fought in those wars? Any of those paths is totally valid. Well, and even the greatest historian who studies World War II doesn't know everything about it. There are volumes and volumes and volumes of information about World War II. You're not actually going to learn everything about it. But we're hoping that you won't end the unit with the very basic things that are on the test. We're hoping that you go and explore any direction that you feel inclined to explore. So we feel like it would be limiting if we just said, this is the information you need to know, and here it is. That would be no different than the, the textbook yeah, regurgitation Yeah, just like a textbook. Method. Yeah, and that's, that's very different from the basic philosophy we have of being an explorer and being free and learning what you want to and going the directions you want to. And so we don't write tests intentionally. And But that doesn't make tests evil. No. We actually give tests to our kids we, sometimes. We write our own sometimes. Part of, There are different reasons to give tests. First of all, it's really valuable for children just to learn to take tests. They're going to have to take a test to get a driver's license. They're going to have to take tests in, in their workplace sometimes. You have to take tests in college. So it's a life skill. Also, tests help you remember things. If you have to memorize it for the test, it helps you remember it. It, it exercises those mental muscles and makes certain learning more impactful. But the way that we write tests for layers of learning is that after we have completed going whatever direction we want to with our learning and doing whichever projects we want to, we review that and we say, well, what did we cover together in our homeschool over this topic, over World War II? And then we will pick certain aspects of it to to ask questions about. So maybe, for example, we focused a lot on um, Hiroshima and the bomb, the atom bomb that was dropped in World War II. And so we may want to ask specific questions about that aspect. And so we will just write a question, maybe a multiple choice question or a fill in the blank or an essay question and make a test for our kids. So think of it this way. When we studied World War II, we actually read some biographies of some specific people who were a part of that. And we got very deep into their lives. But we didn't learn all of the generals, and we didn't even really go over all of the battles. We learned about some specific parts of it, and we went really deep into those specific parts. If I had given a generic test to my kids, then it wouldn't have really gone to the depth that we went in that specific little part. So you're going to create a test that's based on where you explored. And you don't have to do it every single time. You don't need a test on every single subject. You don't have to do it at all if you don't want to. No. But if you want to create a paper trail that's in the form of a test, you should feel qualified to do it. You don't need to rely on a textbook. There, there's nothing, there's no great skills required to write a test. There's nothing magic about it's it. It's just asking questions about what they've learned. Yeah. And... I like to have just kind of a generic format only because it makes it easier for me. It's not required and you don't need to do it. But I usually ask about 10 questions that are multiple choice, sometimes true, false, or fill in the blank, just like you would see on a school test. 
And then the second half of the test, I generally do short answers. And depending on the age of my kids, they're going to answer more or less of the short answers. So for example, in the last test that I gave, I gave my kids a test about the Phoenicians because we've been studying the ancient Phoenicians in history. And my youngest son is nine and he just did the multiple choice and fill in the blank and true false part. So he had 10 questions and then he was done. My 11 year old, she did the very same 10 questions because we had explored those same topics together as a family. But on top of that, I said, I want you to choose two of the short answers and I want you to write a little paragraph answering each of those. And then with my high school daughter, who's 15, I told her you need to answer all of the short answers. And so she did that. And her answers were more complete and more in-depth than the 11-year-olds. And I graded accordingly. But it wasn't a high-stress thing. I want you to show me what you know. So even though you have a wide age range of children, you wrote one test for all of them and then just adapted it to their ability level or their age. Exactly. And you don't have to do it that way. That's just a way that's easy for me that has worked well for me. But it can be helpful when you're keeping a paper trail to have an occasional test just because that can be kind of the thing that you keep or just the score that you keep that shows mastery of something. Yeah. And besides tests, we also score written work. So if my child does one of the writer's workshop sidebars from the, from the units, we will, I will grade those according to Karen's rubric and we will just, uh, I'll add that into their scores and I score them the same as the test. Like I, I will give them the same point percent. I, I base it on percentages. So I weight the tests and the other scores the same just to make grading easier. So the trend in homeschooling is really away from grading, from issuing any kind of grades. And I completely understand that sentiment because I care more about learning and about raising lifelong learners than I do about grades any day of the week. It's, there's no contest. I'm not even really interested in the grades. But it's not harmful to give grades. I don't grade my children when they're very young. But I have found that for my middle schoolers and up, the grade is very, very motivating for them. If, if you have a child who is, eh, they don't really care. They, they just don't care. They're not going to put any effort out. As soon as you start giving a grade, they all of a sudden, they have a, they have a benchmark. They realize, oh, oh, I, I have a certain level of work I'm supposed to come up to. So I was, for example, getting my kids, like we had lab reports they were supposed to write for science experiments. And they were just like writing two words. You know, like there was just zero effort. Minimal. So, yeah. so once I started grading it, they were like, oh, I have to actually. And the funny thing is the grades didn't mean anything. Like there's nobody checking up on that. No. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what the grade is, but it was still motivating to them. Like they needed that benchmark. They needed to realize, oh, my effort matters. So in that case, the test worked for me. I used the test as a tool. I used the grades as a tool. So I actually think that that's why I say that grades aren't harmful because the grades that I give, I have never once just slapped a grade on a paper. An A or a B or a C or a D or an F, that's meaningless. What I do is give feedback. And if you want to call it an A, a B or a C, you can. But I always write on my kids' papers. I tell them what they did well. I tell them what I want them to work on. I point out their strengths. I point out their mistakes. We correct their mistakes. Giving feedback 
actually creates meaning in the assignment. If there's no point, then why did they do it in the first place? They're going to start feeling like, why do I even do this? You just throw away my stuff and you keep two pages for my portfolio. Why am I even doing it? Well, they're doing it to learn, but it's helpful if they get feedback. We all like feedback. When you work really hard at something, don't you enjoy it when someone says, wow, you worked really hard at that. That's impressive. Or, you know, we like feedback. Yeah. So to make a layers of learning grade, whether you need one for your local school district or if you just want one to help motivate your children, whatever your reasons are, you will keep, you can write tests, you can do verbal tests. I often do that with my kids. I'll just quiz them verbally about stuff. And sometimes I'll write down a grade and sometimes I won't, but, but a verbal test counts too. Um, We call that an oral quiz in schools. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> you can also keep a log of the books or movies that they watch that go with the layers of learning topic that you're studying. I think that's really an impressive record to keep, actually. If you, for instance, keep a log of all of the history reading that your kids do during one year, and that is part of their homeschool portfolio, any, any, it's impressive. Yes. Any school teacher would go, oh, my gosh. As homeschoolers, because, we tend to read a lot more than they do in public schools. Yeah, and, and layers of learning is a reading-heavy curriculum. Like right. You're supposed to be reading and or watching movies that are on the topic. And, and that's tons and tons of very meaningful learning that kids aren't getting in schools out of their textbooks. So it, it really is impressive. They really, your kids really are learning a lot. And you can show that just by keeping a list. Yeah. And then you can also take pictures of the projects that they're doing or else just make a note of the projects. Like for example, if you keep any sort of a grade book or something like that, you can just score those projects. Now my kids almost always get a hundred percent on every single layers of learning project that we do as a family because we do it until it's done well and it's done right. And they've completed it. It's not really about the grade itself as much as keeping a record of what you've done. Yes. So we recommend that you keep a layers of learning binder and with, with dividers, one section for history, one for geography, one for science, and one for arts. And in those sections, you will keep at least one written thing from each unit. So when you're planning your unit, you think, okay, well, what's one written thing that we can put in here? It might be a map that they complete. It might be a narration page that they do. A scientific experiment write-up. Yeah, and it could even be a photo that you've taken of their project that is captioned by them. So it's just something, and then you'll keep that through the year. And then at the end of the year, you'll be able to, whether you have to have a portfolio for your local school district or if you need to have an actual grade, you'll have a record sitting there that you can go through and, and create the that paper that you need for your local school district. So each of my kids keep their own layers of learning binder right inside. They have like a little cupboard where they keep all of their school supplies and their binders are inside there, like right by their math books and their reading books and everything that we're doing. And we frequently pull those out as we review. So when we start a new unit, I'll say, Hey, pull out your layers of learning binder. And they pull it out and they look over the things that they did and they'll be like, Oh, it's it's fun. and And it really does jog your memory. Right. And, and so they remember the things they've learned better. Yeah, and they start to make some connections. So we were reading a book recently because we've been studying ancient Assyria. And so we've been reading this book that showed some cuneiform within the pages of it. And my son, Jason, my youngest, 
he has gotten so interested in ancient languages. He's always writing things in hieroglyphics and making us little secret messages and things. It's He's just sparked an interest in that. And when he saw this writing, he said, wait, and he ran over and got his layers of learning notebook and he pulled out the cuneiform page that we had done and he immediately started deciphering what it meant on the pages and it was actually counting. They were the page numbers shown in cuneiform and he deciphered it. But he would not have remembered that, except that we pull that out every unit and look at it again real quickly. We just flip through and I say, oh, remember that, remember that. And it's kind of a walk down memory lane, but it's actually a review. And so we use those binders for lots of things. And it's a great record. But then at the end of the year, after the year is over, you've completed it, you've made your portfolios. You don't have to keep those things anymore. Nope. Then we choose just our best work. And then their binders get cleared out and they start a new one the next year. You know, that binder gets filled up again with what we're doing in the current year. And just their best work went into their portfolio. And then if there's something really that they loved or that they want to keep, we scan it. And I say, oh, awesome. We'll put that one on the computer and you can keep it. I I love taking photos of my kids with their projects because say that we made some paper mache globe or something. I don't have room in my house to store all these projects because again, layers of learning is very project based and your kids are making a lot of stuff. But once you've taken that picture, now you can throw it away. Like it gives you permission. Oh, it's okay. You guys, we've got a picture of it now. Let's put it in here. Let's throw this away. (laughs) You may keep it for a week or so, but then, you know, you can move things out. So the layers of learning binder kind of becomes the portfolio. You scale it way back and choose just their best work and put that in the portfolio. But then once they hit high school, no matter where you live, in my opinion, you should probably keep a transcript. You keep transcripts you, for your yes, high school. Yes, you, you definitely need a transcript. Even without, you know, you mentioned in Idaho we have no requirements. You still keep a transcript. Yes, for your absolutely. High yes, because you need it to get into college. You need it to get into the military. You need it for all kinds of things. My son recently had a, he's applying to be part of this boys state thing where they get to go to the Capitol and learn about our state government. Well, as part of that, he had to have his GPA written down. Well, I have to keep a transcript so I know what his GPA is, right? I mean, there's just all kinds of places that you wouldn't even think of that you're going to need it, but you need it. So my kids participate in sports at our local high school. They don't attend any classes there, but in order to participate in sports, I have to go down once a year and turn in their transcript and sign some forms and they have to do a physical. So they have a little folder down at the high school that I have to have their transcripts ready for that every single year. Um, My husband, he's a pilot and his job actually required him to turn in his high school transcripts, not just his college transcripts, even though he has a bachelor's degree and a pilot's license and he was a flight instructor and did all of those Things. In fact, he was a commercial pilot and worked for airlines before his current airline. But still, his current airline made him turn in his high school transcript. So you just don't know when you're going to need it or for what, but you need it. And, and that is the one piece of paper that you need to keep for a lifetime. Like that is the one sheet of record from their, your child's education that you should never, ever get rid of, ever. Because yeah. you don't know how far down the road you may need it. So I plan to keep my kids' portfolios, but more as a memory book. You know, their first through eighth grade portfolios. Once they're past eighth grade, they don't need that legally for any reason. But ours ends up being a really cool scrapbook. But the transcript, you need that for a variety of reasons. And 
that's not just for memories. That's you need it. A, a lot of homeschoolers are very intimidated by the transcript, I think because it's so very official. And, and the good thing is that it really is official. When you write a transcript, that is an official transcript. It counts just as much as the transcript from the local public school. So it's not as hard to write as you think, though. All you have to do is calculate the grades for each class that your child takes, and you calculate those based on tests and written work that they've turned in that you've graded. And in high school, you will have to grade things whether you like it or not, because you need to be able to generate a transcript. Then you just average up their grade and you create a grading scale. In most places in the United States, it's, it's very simple. 90 to 100 is an A, and it's worth four points on the transcript. 80 to 89 is a B, and it's worth three points. Now, different high schools have some different um, variations of that. They may actually grade slightly different for an A minus than an A, for example. You should probably find out how your local school district is doing it and just do it the way that they do it. I went in and talked to our counseling office at our local high school, and they advised me a little bit. And truthfully, I was already doing it, and I was doing it a little bit more thoroughly than they even advised me on. But if you do feel like you need help, you can try that route. Some high schools are really friendly to homeschoolers and will help with things like that. Others are less friendly. Uh, you may just need to talk to other homeschoolers around you and get a feel for that. There are also lots of tutorials online that teach you how to make a transcript. It's easy to do a Google search and find how to write a transcript. And, and really, don't be intimidated by it. It's, it's simply listing the classes they took and the grade and assigning a number, a point system to go with it. And the point system depends on where you live. So in the United States, it's a point system of zero to four, four being the highest, although there are some schools that now offer AP classes where you can get higher than a four, which didn't exist when I was in school. Yeah. I think that's not fair. I've, I've never done that. I always, no, just 4 .0 I, I always is... do 4.0 as the highest. But, but if you live in a school district where they do some fancier grading like that, just find out what they do and do it the way that they do it. Okay, so the first thing, I'm going to talk about like what the transcript actually looks like. So at the very top of the page, you need to have the student's name. It should be his or her full name. You need to have the student's address and their phone number. You need to have the name of the school. So if you're homeschooling, like I would just call mine Kofer Homeschool. It's mine, very simple. Mine's called Layers of Learning Academy. That's very fancy. I yep. don't know if I can do that fancy. Mine has always been Layers of Learning Academy since my kids were brand new in Layers of Learning. So in some places, you may have to actually register an official school name, or you may be under an umbrella school and you would use their school name. It just depends on your local jurisdiction where you're at. But you need to have the school name and you need to have the contact information for the person who's writing the transcript up. So I would put my name up there with my phone number, which is the same as the student's phone number. <laughs> that's fun, but that's how you do it. And then it needs to be dated. So at different periods of time, you, it may have a different date. For example, like I said, my son needed his transcript recently. He needed his GPA. And so I would date that, even though he's a junior, I date it for now. And then when he's finished with high school, I would put the final date as his graduation date. And you need to pick a day. Sometimes homeschoolers don't have that solid of a calendar necessarily, but you need to pick a day that was their graduation date. Just create one. Just, just, yeah, just choose one. And it should be like what's typical for where you live. If, if the end of May is a typical graduation date where you live, you should pick a date at the end of May for their graduation date. So then for each of the classes beneath that, you're going to have four squares, basically four tables. 
And the first table is their freshman year. The second table is sophomore year. And then you have junior year and senior year. Okay, so you're going to name each of the classes a typical traditional high school class name. For example, even though you're doing layers of learning science and you may be integrating multiple subjects together, you still just want to call the freshman science biology. Keep it, keep the names like normal so for what, this, what the high schools would expect to see. So some schools, some high schools in the U.S., actually just name their classes by their grade. For example, you might just say ninth grade English, ninth grade science. They yeah, do that. And yeah. so you have that option as well. If you don't yeah. want to specify, you can just call it by the grade. Or, or you can say science one, science two, science three. So I don't on my high school transcripts write ancient history or medieval history. For year one of layers of learning, I call that world history one. And then for layers of learning year two, I call it world history year two or world history two rather. And then for years three and four of layers of learning, that's U.S. history one and U.S. history two. But it's up to you what you're going to cover. That's the way that we conceptualize it in my homeschool. And so that's what they're called on our high school transcripts. So next to the name of the class, whether it's like, let's say that you have science one. Next to that name, you're going to put a letter grade. That's typically what's shown next. So maybe they got an A. Um, and then next to that letter grade, you're going to write the points that they earned. So an A is worth four points. So you'd write a four. So let's say that they got an A, a B, another A, another B, and then a C. So the first A is worth four points. The B is worth three points. The next A is worth four points. The B is worth three points. And the C is worth two points. Okay. So you're going to add up all the points. So we've got four plus three is seven plus another seven is 14, 15, 16. So they earned 16 points or 16 credits for that semester. Okay, and you're going to divide that by the number of classes they took. So that was five classes. So with those grades, that's going to end up being a 3.2 grade point average. Okay, GPA. GPA, that's what GPA stands for. In the United States, that's what we call it, a GPA, grade point average. So that student got 3.2 for that semester. And to find the grade points overall, you just add the semesters together and divide them too. You're just finding averages. So you average each semester out, then you add the semesters together and find the average of those, and then you're going to add the years together, freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, and senior year, and you're going to average those, and that's your overall grade point average. Now, they call that a cumulative GPA. So your cumulative GPA is always current. So if you are halfway through your junior year, then your cumulative GPA involves your freshman, sophomore, and then that half of your junior year. And then the cumulative GPA changes. So each time you update your transcript, you will update that cumulative GPA as well. So some things you need to keep in mind, Dif depending on where you live, there may be different requirements. You may be, have a requirement that your student has to take two science classes. You may have a requirement that they have to take a civics class. They might need health. 
Yes. Or they might have to have physical education for two credits. And, and you have to know what those requirements are for your local high school because you have to meet those. Even in Idaho where we live, where nobody's checking up on us, I still follow the requirements of the local high school. I know that my kids have to have an Idaho State history class. And so I make sure that we do that class during one of the semesters of their high school. And I make a grade for it and put it on the transcript. We also pay attention to what colleges may be wanting. For example, our local high school doesn't require foreign languages, but a lot of colleges do want to see foreign language on the transcript. And so I will make sure that my high school students do a foreign language for at least two years. So think about those kind of requirements and you want to kind of have that laid out before they start their freshman year and make sure that it shows up on the transcript. Yeah, that's one of the things that you taught me that I was grateful for, Michelle. Before my kids were in high school, because your kids are older than mine, yours had gone through it, and you showed me how to create a high school plan so that I could take a look at all four years and what they would need in order to graduate. And sometimes that seems silly to homeschoolers. They're like, what do you mean to graduate? They're not going to graduate. But if you have any kind of a plan after high school, then you want it to be like an official graduation, whether or not they're walking in a cap and gown or getting a diploma. My kids have not gotten a diploma and they have not gotten a GED, but they have gone to college because they turned in their transcript and they were asked to turn in one writing assignment as well. They got into college based on those things and on their application and their extracurricular activities that they listed on their application. But every college will have different requirements and nearly every college in the United States, all the universities here have created plans for how to admit homeschool students. So you need to know what that is because it looks very different from a traditional high school student's way of getting into college. So before you, your student starts freshman year, you need to know kind of what some possibilities are. I didn't know exactly what schools my kids would want to go to. So I looked into a couple that I thought were likely they would go to. And I looked at their requirements and made sure that we were meeting those basic requirements. And maybe your kids won't go to college. Maybe they won't want to join the military. Maybe they won't need to meet those certain requirements. But you don't know that, and you don't want to cut off those possibilities before they've even turned 14. So make sure that you just got kind of that basic outline in, in place so that you have met the basic requirements and you're not hamstringing your kids from the get-go. Yeah, you're keeping the door open. You're keeping possibilities open so they get to choose. I have never forced any of my kids to go to college, but I would not want to shut that door and say, you know what? I don't want you to go to college and you're not going to go because that's their life and their education and their choice. And my job is to open doors for them, not close them. The last thing you need to think about on a transcript is that there are a minimum number of credits. We talked about how each class is worth so many credits. So typically a one in the United States anyway, one semester is worth half a credit and you need a certain number of credits to graduate. So you need to make sure that your transcript is showing the right credits. And we don't always have compartmentalized classes. A lot of times our English will bleed into our history because we're writing papers in history that then I use for an English grade two or, you know, things like that. They're reading things for science that then I go, well, that's part of your English grade. So a lot of times it may blur, but on the transcript, it needs to not look blurry. You need to make sure that you have specific classes laid out and that you have enough credits for each of those classes that your children are, are completing the requirements for wherever you live. 
Yeah, so just create a basic plan before your child starts high school with them. I would say sit down with them and say, you know, what what foreign language would you like to learn? You know, ask them what they want. My kids did violin. That was one of their electives in high school. And now they're doing that in college as well. They're taking violin classes in college. So you want to sit down and kind of have a map and kind of have an idea. And again, if you do have a local high school that's friendly to homeschoolers and, you know, a resource there that will help you, they have pieces of paper in there that show the exact requirements. The counseling center can just hand it to you and you can see it. You could probably also look it up online for your state. It's usually pretty easy to find that stuff online. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to kind of mirror your local requirements, that's a really strong way to look at a transcript for high school. So a homeschooling paper trail doesn't need to be extensive or complicated. You shouldn't feel intimidated by it, but you do need to make sure that you're following the rules of where you live and that you are being very intentional about it from the get-go so that you have an easy time just pulling out, here's what we did, here's the proof, and it's not scrambling. It's really hard years later to go back and remember everything and get it all together. It's really easy if you just have that plan in place and you just maintain it as you go. So hopefully that helped you think through some of the issues with keeping a homeschool paper trail and things that you need to keep and things that you don't need to keep. And thank you so much for joining us. If you can remember to subscribe, we would be so grateful. Subscribe and share this podcast. Uh, We want lots of people to be helped out by the things that we say, and we hope that that's something that will bless other people. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. Come and visit us at layersoflearning.com and on our Facebook group. Make sure to tune in next month for our new podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have Have fun fun learning. learning!